Hello, and welcome to Everybody's National Parks, an audio travel guide aimed to inspire you and your family to visit America's national parks and help you get the most out of your park experience. This is your host, Danielle. This is episode 29. In this episode, I speak with Moon Guide author Jessica Dunham about road trips across the U.S., including parks to visit while exploring Route 66. Before we get to that, I would like to thank listener John for his email about camping at Pinion Flats Campground at Great Sand Dunes National Park in Colorado. After listening to our recent episode number 27, Camping in Colorado, John felt he needed to reach out and give us a warning about the bugs at this campground and let listeners know to be prepared so you can have a pleasant experience. John writes, it's buggy, real buggy. You've been around mosquitoes before, I know. You can handle it, I know. But it's powerful buggy. The dunes are a blast. It's impossible to not have fun. And the park is beautiful. But it's hard to enjoy yourself at the campground without being prepared. Have headnets for everybody. Keep a campfire going at dawn and dusk. Wear long sleeves and pants. Natural mosquito deterrents are useless. We brought out the heavy deed. And one last thing, his thermocell would not light at that altitude, so he couldn't even rely on that. Once they were stocked on wood and deed, they thoroughly enjoyed themselves. Before they were fully prepared, it, it was miserable. So I hope that is a helpful tip, and thank you so much, John, for reaching out and sharing that helpful information with us. We want to thank our sponsor for this episode, Moon Travel Guides. If you've traveled the Americas, then you already know Moon Travel Guides are the go-to guides for truly immersive experiences. With coverage of every national park and more outdoor adventures across the U.S., you can count on Moon's local expertise, unique recommendations, and strategic advice to help you plan an unforgettable trip, whether you're hiking in the heartland or camping on the coast. Wherever your wonderlust may lead, there's a moon guide for you. Send us your questions or comments to hello at everybody'snps.com or on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Now let's get to the conversation. Hello, today I am here with Jessica Dunham. She is the author of Moon Route 66 Road Trip, which came out in June of 2019, and an upcoming new guidebook, The Open Road, 50 Best Road Trips in the USA, which comes out in October 2020. In addition, Jessica also contributes to travel and food stories to local and national publications including Phoenix Magazine, Modern Luxury, Runner's World, Midwest Living, Valley Guide, VisitArizona.com, The Oprah Magazine, and The Phoenix Travel Guide. Hi, Jessica. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, Danielle. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Jessica, I am so excited to speak with you today. We are recording this. It is May of 2020. Most of the country and the world have been in this new reality of COVID-19. 
things are starting to open up in different places around the world. And people are thinking about when will it be safe to travel again? Our talk focusing on road trips will be of interest. I bet once people feel comfortable moving around again, they're probably going to be more comfortable in their cars traveling rather than by other modes of transportation. What do you think? I think that's such a great point. In the best of times, the magic of a road trip is about freedom and flexibility. It's about the freedom to travel where you want to go for however long you want to be there, the freedom to stop every 30 minutes and see things or the the freedom to just travel for six hours straight down a highway. And then the flexibility to bring your own food or stop at a restaurant. In the best of times, that is what is so charming, I think, about a road trip. And now we're in this new normal. I think that road trips are just going to be that much more because we've all been cooped up. (laughs) We've all been sequestered at our homes. And there's just so much that's unknown out there that I think having a little bit of a feel of independence as well as control over your own destiny is going to draw people to that type of travel. Yeah, I agree. And just thinking about our travel, we've had a lot of trips canceled and we have summer travel plans. And I just don't know We don't know what will happen. Checking out your book and preparing for our conversation, I was thinking, wow, this could be the answer. I'm really excited to talk about it. Good. And it's also interesting because Route 66 has such a history of being a path for people fleeing the Dust Bowl or people moving out west to start over after the Depression. So Route 66 in and of itself has sort of been this place where people could escape to and escape sort of the trying times of the period. I think perhaps in a lot of ways, it could also be that for us, for modern day travelers. Yeah. Can you give us a super quick synopsis on the history of Route 66? (laughs) I like that you say super quick. (laughs) I imagine that we could talk for days and days and there could probably be, Ken Birds could do like a 10-hour history of Route 66. (laughs) (laughs) Ken Burns would do a wonderful history of Route 66. (laughs) Yes, I can tell you, I can give you a little snapshot of it. Route 66 was commissioned as a federal highway in 1926. Um, and at that time, only about 800 miles of what was to eventually become 2,448 miles were completed. And then cut to 1937, and the rest of the road was finally paved. So you now had a, a sort of a diagonal route starting in Chicago, Illinois, and going west to Los Angeles. And then eventually the road extended from Los Angeles to Santa Monica. During World War II, Route 66 was the route for military vehicles to transport goods back and forth. And then after World War II, it became what we understand it to be now, which was sort of a cruising road. Families after World War II piling in their their Cadillacs or their Fords and cruising down Route 66 and stopping at these kitschy tourist traps 
um, these great little spots, these vintage, I call them vintage now, but these motor courts and motels, all of which were built and designed to cater to the road tripper. In 1959, the Federal Highway Act was passed, and that was the start of what we now know as the super fast four-lane interstate highway system. And once that was passed, much of Route 66 was bypassed for the bigger, faster highways. And then in 1985, Route 66 was decommissioned as a federal highway. So that's when a lot of it fell into disrepair until 1999. And the National Park Service swooped in and established the Route 66 Corridor Preservation Program. And they've been helping out small towns along Route 66 and small businesses to preserve and maintain the highway. That is so cool. I didn't know that there was that connection. So that's really interesting to learn. You had mentioned that um, that program is still continuing in some way now, even though it's officially ended. Yes. So in 1999, it was essentially a, a 10-year program at that point. And then in 2009, when it was set to expire, it was renewed for another 10 years, which takes us up to last year, 2019. And it did expire last year, although the National Park Service is still assisting in unofficial capacity. So they're still helping with cost share grants to small businesses on Route 66 and collaborating with other partners, private, nonprofit, to identify and prioritize different Route 66 preservation needs. That's so great. What a cool family trip. How long do you think someone needs to allocate for a family vacation to travel Route 66? That's a great question. If you want to do the whole thing, so if you want to start in Chicago, right across the street from the Art Museum in downtown Chicago, that's where the beginning of Route 66 sign is. If you want to go from Chicago to Santa Monica Pier, where it ends, I suggest 14 days. You can certainly do it a little bit shorter. If you don't stop at as many of the destinations or if you hop off of Route 66 and opt to take the highway. And you can certainly take a lot longer. You can do three weeks and you can just be very leisurely and do lots of side trips. Route 66 uh, has a lot of places located just nearby that I know are tempting for a lot of people. Places like the Grand Canyon, places like Las Vegas. You can do it long and you can do it short. I recommend 14 days. Yeah, of course. It depends on the person and how much time you want to spend. I really like how this book is laid out. So you start in Chicago and head west and walk through or read through. And really, it gives you all the stops that you may want to make, including go to this restaurant. Everything is laid out for you. It's really such a great resource. This is Everybody's National Parks. We're going to focus on what sites that you think people should check out and then include the parks that are easy distance to that are right on Route 66 or an easy detour from there. How does that sound? Yeah, I think that's a great idea. All right. So where do you want to start? Well, if we're starting in Chicago and we're heading south and west, really, the first national park that you come to is in St. Louis. And St. Louis, Missouri, and that is Gateway Arch National Park. 
And it is right on Route 66, <laughs> which I think makes sense. You have the gateway to the West. Route 66 was really and truly a pathway to the West. So Gateway Arch is a great place to start. Right. Just looking at the list you provided me, you also mentioned the Route 66 Association Hall of Fame and Museum in Pontiac, Illinois. I assume that's before you get to the Gateway Arch. Yes. So Route 66 Association Hall of Fame and Museum is before you get to the arch. It's in Illinois. And I like to recommend this place to Route 66 travelers. You will find a lot of Route 66 museums um, along the way, some better than others. To my mind, this is the best, most comprehensive museum about Route 66 because I think it really gives you the overview that you need to understand the history of Route 66 as well as the heart and soul of Route 66. The museum focuses a lot on different people who have contributed to the history of Route 66. And there's a lot of mementos and photographs and things that you can sort of touch and feel and smell. So it's a really great, I don't want to call it an interactive museum. It's not quite like that, but it's not standoffish uh, like a museum could be. It's very warm. It's very friendly and it's incredibly comprehensive. So if you do nothing else, I would stop here to get a sense of your bearings. Great. Where is that relative to uh, when you leave Chicago? You're probably going to be on the road. It's not very close to Chicago. So you would be on the road for a couple of hours heading south and west to get to Pontiac. And Pontiac is a very small town. And they love their Route 66 history as a town. On the back side of the museum is one of the largest Route 66 murals on the route itself. And you'll find as you travel Route 66 that pretty much every town or every business has a superlative in front of it. So the largest mural or the oldest restaurant or whatever. And that is also a bit of the fun of Route 66. And that dials into its history when all of these businesses were catering to the, the cruising travelers in the 50s. They had to lure them in some way. And we're going to talk about the largest rocking chair. But before we completely leave the Chicago area, I just want to take a little side note here and briefly mention Indiana Dunes National Park. I know this is not in your book, but Indiana Dunes became a national park in February of 2019. It was uh, formerly Indiana Dunes National Lakeshore, and that is just 49 miles from Route 66. So people can tack that on if they so choose. I love that you brought that up. Yes, I haven't been myself, but I am so glad that you mentioned it. Moving on, before we um, get to the next state we're going to talk about, we have the world's largest rocking chair in Fanning, Missouri, (laughs) which seems like a required photo. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, kids love this. I have to say adults also love this. The world's largest rocking chair also comes with a bit of a caveat. So they had to change their name to the world's largest rocking chair on Route 66 because a larger rocking chair was built and um, is located somewhere in Illinois. I don't know the exact city, but it's not on Route 66. But as happens, somebody had to build something a little bit bigger. But yes, you can go. And the chair did used to actually rock back and forth. But 
the owners uh, were worried that something bad could happen. It could tip over and someone would get hurt. So now the rockers are actually welded to the base. So it doesn't officially rock back and forth, but it is a great photo op. Nice. Before we get to Arizona, I see you've listed uh, cars on the route. Yes. So everyone's favorite, well, maybe not everyone's favorite, but a, a beloved Disney movie, Cars. I don't, I'm not sure how much you know about the movie, but the producers of Pixar traveled Route 66 and found a lot of inspiration in different locations along Route 66 for the movie, specifically in uh, Arizona. Quite a bit was taken from Arizona. But there is a little old gas station in Kansas, Galena, Kansas. It was at this gas station where there was an old truck, a 1951 truck that inspired the character of Poe Mater, which is one of the characters in the movie Cars. You can go to the gas station, which is now no longer a gas station. It is kind of a tourist destination. There are snacks and souvenirs. Um, but you can see the original truck that inspired the character it's sitting right out front. I'm sure is fun for Cars fans. <laughs> Where do you take us next after that? From Galena, Kansas, another of my favorite stops is actually in just outside of Amarillo, Texas. Have you heard of Cadillac Ranch? I've heard of it, and I saw pictures in your book, but I didn't know what it was before seeing it. Cadillac Ranch is, is quite the site. So another thing that you'll see on Route 66 is a lot of what they call car culture or things inspired by cars. <laughs> the vehicle, not the movie. Cadillac Ranch is an art installation which is 10 full-size Cadillacs. So picture a giant Cadillac with big fins at the end, and they were stuck upside down with their noses in the soil. So they're standing upright, and they're all in a row, and they have been painted different colors with spray paint, regular paint. It's the most colorful, odd sight you will see on a road trip ever. And you can actually pull off. It's on like a feed road and you can off and walk up to the cars. You can touch them. You can weave in and out of them. A lot of other road trippers and tourists will be there as well. So you won't have the place to yourself, but it's really a neat shared experience. Cadillac Ranch, Cars on the Route, the world's largest rocking chair. Are all of these things just on the road and you can just pull over and stop and go see them? Or do they charge a fee to go and see them and take your photos? Almost all of them are totally free and very easy to get to. They you pull off the side of the road and you can walk into the Cars on the Route gas station. You can take a picture in front of the tow mater truck at Cadillac Ranch. Again, you pull off the side of the road. You just walk over to it. There's so many places like that on Route 66. And not only do most of these places not have any sort of fee or red tape to get to them, but I always tell people, take time to stop and chat with the business owners because they are so excited to see people and they're so excited to have you there. So be ready to have a conversation. Be ready to ask questions. Be ready to make new friends. I love that. That's great. That's wonderful. It's small town America, and you meet a lot of wonderful people. I love meeting people when I travel when in any of the national parks I go to. Next, 
I think we're at the Musical Highway. This is just outside of Albuquerque. It'll just be a little bit east of Albuquerque. And in order to get to it, you'll have to, you'll be driving west. So you'll exit and then you'll drive under the highway and you'll get over onto the feeder on the other side of the road. This one's a little bit of a a detour just in terms of navigating the exit. But once you get on the other side, there is a short stretch of road that's been designed to play America the Beautiful when you drive over the rumble strips at exactly, and I say exactly, 45 miles per hour. And the reason I say exactly is because my husband and I attempted to do this (laughs) a couple of times back and forth. And we hit it at 46, we hit it at 42, but it has to be at 45 miles an hour. And once you hit those rumble strips at 45 miles per hour, the sound fills your whole car with the first verse of America the Beautiful Melody. (laughs) That's so cool. Wow. Where is the sound coming from? I don't know the science of how this works, but you know how if your ankle and your tires go over rumble strips and it sort of fills your car with that awful sound, like an air tunnel sound, or it's just a loud noise. Well, the way that they designed the rumble strips on this particular stretch of road, they did it in a way that it plays the melody of the songs. Again, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a, an urban planner. I don't know how they did it, but I can tell you from personal experience that it works. That is so neat. <laughs> Just to mention, Jessica, you've picked out a few highlights that you think my audience families would be interested in seeing, but there's so much more. And the book goes into incredible detail of all the things you can do along the way. And you can pick and choose how many of the spots, but we're just highlighting a few here. I know I have certainly cornered people when they've asked, what should I see on Route 66? And then they can't get away from me because (laughs) there are just so many things. But I've picked out a couple of highlights that I think would be particularly fun for families. This next one gives me mixed emotions because next on your list is the Wigwam Motel in Holbrook, Arizona. The 1930s era TP style lodging. We had reservations at this motel, the Wigwam Motel, in February of 2019. But as you know, I think you're in Arizona, if I remember correctly. There was that big, big blizzard, (laughs) the blizzard of the century in Arizona. And so we could not get there. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. When you happened to mention to me that you had been in Arizona during a blizzard, I knew exactly when you were talking about because we don't get a lot of blizzards here. (laughs) And I'm so sorry that you missed out on the Wigwam Motel because this is quintessential Route 66 because it is a motor court, which is basically like a motel, but with each room is its own standing structure. And each structure is designed to look like a teepee. Interestingly enough, it's called Wigwam because the owner and creator of the Wigwam Motel didn't like the word teepee. So he called them wigwams, but they are in fact teepees. The Wigwam Motel was part of a chain that was built in the 1930s through the 50s all over the country. So there were originally seven Wigwam motels, dates all over, and now there are only three, and two of them are on Route 66. Oh, wow. Where's the other one? 
The other one is in San Bernardino, California, which is one of the stops on Route 66 once you get into California. Ah, cool. And is it owned by the original owners still? I don't think it's the original owners anymore. But this is, even if you can't book a room, which is sometimes difficult because there are only so many of the TPs available and they do sell out. Even if you can't book a room, I highly recommend just driving into the parking lot and walking around because they have a lot of the old vintage cars sitting out front. I don't know if any of them actually work. I've never seen them move before, but (laughs) they are placed out front. It's a great photo. You do get a room. You're going to love it because they are surprisingly spacious. They're perfect for a family. You can go into one of the teepees and there are two queen-size beds. There's a bathroom. There's TV. There's Wi-Fi. It's like everything a family on the road needs. That's awesome. Well, we're definitely, we're going to do that trip again. We'll get there eventually. How many wigwams are there approximately? I think that there are 12 or 15 of them. So, and they're spaced out kind of along the property. Nice. So we will do that. Our trip, we were trying to stay there and go to the Petrified Forest. We had to miss out on both of those things, but that is a stop that is easy to do. Visit a national park right on Route 66. Yes. Oh my gosh, the Petrified Forest. So I love the Grand Canyon, but the Grand Canyon does get all of the all of the attention <laughs> um, when it comes to Arizona National Parks. But the Petrified Forest is right off of Route 66. And fun fact, it is the only national park in the country that protects a portion of Route 66. Oh, that is really cool. I love that fact. And the Petrified Forest is a great national park to go to when you're on a road trip, because I think one of the nicer ways to explore it, you can drive through it and see everything you want to see. So if you're if you're not a hiker or maybe the weather, inclement weather, and you can't really get out, you can see quite a bit of Petrified Forest from your car. That's awesome. And do you have a suggestion on how much time you would allocate to visiting Petrified Forest? Would you just spend a couple of hours or if you are the type of person that likes to get out and see stuff, should people try to spend a day or two there? I think in the book, I suggest doing kind of taking an hour or two to drive through and then maybe making a couple of stops to see things. But the Petrified Forest and the Painted Desert, which shares space with the Petrified Forest, offers a lot of great programs from different archaeological digs and a lot of kid-friendly programming. So you could certainly spend a day or two there. And I highly recommend before you arrive, checking online and see what different programs they have. A lot of stargazing programs as well. It's a great educational opportunity for the whole family. So if you want to, you can certainly spend a day or two. Excellent. We will do that maybe next year. Okay, so from the Petrified Forest, where do we go to next? From the Petrified Forest, I love to suggest that people make a stop at Meteor Crater. Meteor Crater, it's actually a privately owned facility, but it is similar to a national park in that it's preserving the site of a meteor impact from 50,000 years ago. Not only can you actually walk the rim of the impact site, which is very cool. 
but they have a wonderful interactive museum on site there that has a 4D experience room. So you can go in, kids love this, you can go in and experience what it would be like to be alive during a meteor crater. (laughs) I mean, during a meteor impact. And they have this wonderful movie and they have a a restaurant on site. You could very easily spend half a day at Meteor Crater. Oh, that sounds really cool. What is the proximity Wigwam Hotel or Petrified Forest to Meteor Crater? It's really close. You have along Route 66 in this part of Arizona, it's a lot of empty space, a lot of big sky and big horizons, but you have the town of Holbrook, which is where the Wigwam Village is. You have the town of Winslow, which is standing on the corner in Winslow, Arizona. I'm sure you've heard of that song. And then just a little bit west, you have Flagstaff. And so any of these places are very easy to get to. So you could choose to stay in Holbrook, you could choose to stay in Winslow, or you could continue west to Flagstaff. And it's all very doable. As long as there's not three feet of snow and every road is shut down. (laughs) Yes, of course. (laughs) And as I was saying, how places along Route 66 like to have a superlative, Meteor Crater, they say, is the best preserved meteor impact site on the planet. Now, I don't know how many impact sites are on the planet, but this is their claim to fame. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, we'll believe them and we will definitely get there one day. I hope so. From there, I imagine the next stop would be a detour to the Grand Canyon. Yeah, so there's a couple of ways to get to the Grand Canyon from Route 66. There's Flagstaff, of course, but I like to suggest that people from Flagstaff continue west to Williams, Arizona. Williams, Arizona is a wonderful Route 66 town. And from Williams, you can get to the Grand Canyon. It'll take about an hour. I think I think it's like 63 miles north to the Grand Canyon. Or if you want to ditch the car, you can take the Grand Canyon Railway, which is a very popular mode of transportation for families because it's a two-hour train ride, but it is interactive the whole way. There are air quote train robberies. <laughs> there are... Um, singing, cowboys. It's a fun experience. So you can either do the Grand Canyon Railway or you can drive right into the Grand Canyon. That sounds very fun. (laughs) (laughs) We went to Williams on the way back from our trip and did the Polar Express there. Oh yeah, that's the Grand Canyon Railway. They have that in the winter. And then they also have in October, I think they have a pumpkin patch train ride as well. That's a great suggestion. Obviously, that detour could be a day or you could spend, of course, many days exploring the Grand Canyon. (laughs) Yes, many, many days. In the book, I list it as a side trip and sort of let people decide how long you want to spend, which going back to what we were talking about earlier is the beauty of a road trip, right? That you can, can make an impulsive decision if you want. You can stay longer. You can You can leave early. It just, you have that independence. You're at the wheel, quite literally and figuratively. You can make your trip yours. Exactly. Yep. We had just the most amazing trip when we went to the Grand Canyon. It was right after Christmas. The decorations were up. We had spectacular 70 degree weather. And a week later, I remember seeing pictures on social media that you couldn't even see the Grand Canyon. It was so foggy. So we just really lucked out that week having this fantastic weather. 
It's on our bucket list. We always, whenever we go somewhere, we end up having like 10 more things that we want to do on our next trip, which obviously we can't go back to every single one of these places. But one day we hope to get down onto the Colorado River, hike down to Phantom Ranch. So many cool things to do. From the Grand Canyon, I think we're leaving Arizona. And where to next? Once you cross into California, this stretch of Route 66 is pretty desolate. You're traveling through the Mojave Desert and it's there's not a whole lot to stop and see. I like to suggest a side trip to the Mojave National Preserve. It's not a national park, but it's a great place to get out and stretch your legs and look at something other than <laughs> than the very hot asphalt stretching out before you. So to do a side trip to Mojave National Preserve, it's about 18 miles north of Route 66, but you can the exit is right there on Route 66. So you can just detour north for a little bit and check it out, walk around, stretch your legs, and then return to Route 66 and continue west. And it is, it's not a national park, capital P, but it is run by the National Park Service. It is, a, so it's a national preserve. There's so many different units. It is an NPS site. That's a great suggestion. From there, it looks like Joshua Tree would be the next park. Yeah. So from there, you will continue west on Route 66. And like I said, you're going to be rolling through a lot of abandoned buildings, which are beautiful in their own sort of crumbling way. Um, And you'll get to the north entrance of Joshua Tree. So you can enter Joshua Tree from the south, which is actually the way I usually do it because it's easier coming from Phoenix, Arizona on I-10. But this one will be the entrance near 29 Palms. And it's this detour is significant. So if you choose to do a Joshua Tree visit from Route 66, you're looking about an hour from Route 66. And then, of course, once you're in Joshua Tree, you'll want to you'll wanna spend some time exploring. That sounds great. Yeah, that is definitely a place we want to get to. We haven't been there yet. It's wonderful. <laughs> You've seen the pictures of the Joshua trees, but then when you actually get in front of them, they're just like any desert plant. They're, you just don't understand where they come from. They're so odd and so beautiful. I don't know. I'm not a native to Arizona. I'm not a native to the desert. And perhaps that's why I'm still so in awe of desert plants. Going back to um, Saguaro, that was where we ended up going since we couldn't get to the Petrified Forest. We ended up spending several days exploring Saguaro National Park, which is around Tucson, Arizona. And I was so surprised to see how lush the desert was. (laughs) It was just not what I imagined. That was really fun to explore and discover all the desert plants there. Yes, I love hearing visitors to Arizona say that because the Sonoran Desert is actually one of the most diverse desert ecosystems in the world in terms of both wildlife and plant life. And as you said, once you get up close and personal with it, it takes your breath away. I mean, and every plant looks so different (laughs) from anything you've ever seen before. It was really cool. So Joshua Tree, how much time would you, this is all personal and subjective, but how much time would you spend at Joshua Tree? Joshua Tree is tricky because it can be very difficult to get lodging. Joshua Tree is incredibly popular, especially with Californians coming from Los Angeles. 
it can be hard to get lodging. And if you want to do a Joshua trip, I do suggest planning for that ahead of time. So whether it's camping or whether it's getting a hotel in 29 Palms or in Palm Springs, I would plan ahead for that. And then if you do plan ahead for that, I would suggest three or four days. There's a lot to see. There's a lot of different hikes. It's just a magnificent place. It's a very special place. Great. Well, I will plan for that. (laughs) We're almost at the end of our trip and the end of our Route 66. So where do we go from there? From Joshua Tree, you will be heading west to the Pacific Ocean. And of course, along the way, you're going to be going right through Los Angeles. Should you choose to stop in Los Angeles, there's many, many things to do. But you have to make it to the end of Route 66, which is at the Santa Monica Pier. And when I say it's at the Santa Monica Pier, I mean you have to walk up on the pier in order to get to the sign that says you have reached the end of Route 66, which is just so special. And when I drove Route 66, I did do it from Chicago all the way to the end. And I don't know if it was because I was road weary or if it was because I was truly moved. But when I got, when I walked out onto that pier and I saw the ocean and I saw that sign that said I had reached the end of the trail, I teared up. It was, it was really special. I mean, I think a lot of what is so great about the national parks is that they are kind of a living narrative of American history. And I feel that Route 66 is like that. And so when you take it from end to end, it feels like a journey. It feels like you have traveled along and you've been a part of this story of United States history for good and for bad. I mean, Route 66 has a complicated history. So when you get to that end, it's like, it's like reaching the end of a book, you know, and closing it and, and having that moment of reflection. Yeah, I can totally see that. What a great pairing of pairing a Route 66 trip with the national parks and traveling through history and learning about our country's history for all that it has to offer. And also to mention, Santa Monica Pier is a really fun place. <laughs> there's rides and there's candy. It's a very lively, exciting place. So, <laughs> Right. You have to take it, that required photo at the end. That just sounds so cool. This has been such a fun conversation. I have so enjoyed it. And I'm starting to feel that cabin fever and want to get out (laughs) and hit the open road. (laughs) Yes, do it. (laughs) I guess with a mask on. (laughs) But before we close, and that was just, I just loved having this conversation with you. I wanted to just mention that you have this other book that's coming out in October 2020. It sounds so cool. I really want this book, The Open Road, 50 Best Road Trips in the USA. And it comes out in October. I know that you had a couple of road trips that you wanted to mention and highlight. And the the book, it covers the country and has regions, cross-country, California, Pacific Northwest, Southwest and Texas, Rocky Mountains, Great Lakes, New England, New York, and Pennsylvania, the South and Florida, and then Alaska and Hawaii. You can spend a lifetime trying to get through all of this, and that would be so amazing. What a quest. But what do you want to highlight for us? Well, there's a truncated version of the Route 66 trip in this book. So this book also covers Route 66, but there are a couple of road trips in here that I think are 
one in particular, which is a cross-country road trip that I suggest 21 days for. So it's a biggie. It's cross-country in the truest sense of the word. So it starts in Sacramento, California, and it concludes in Ocean City, Maryland. And it goes right through the middle of the United States. And it is Route 50, also known as the Loneliest Road. It actually got that name from a Time Magazine article, I believe, in the 1970s. That was almost a bit of a derivative. But since then, the route has sort of taken on a cult status as the loneliest road because, as you know, hard to go anywhere in the United States today and not feel like things are developed or that there are people. And I will tell you, there are places on the loneliest road where you do not see a road sign, a stoplight, another car, another person. It is unlike any other route in the country. So make sure you fill up on gas when you see the gas station. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, fill up on gas and also get your social interaction if you need it. But it's mostly a two-lane road in other parts. I think it's four lanes, but it's mostly a two-lane road and runs through 12 states, which is a lot. And it's 3,200 miles. And one of my favorite things about the loneliest road is that in Sacramento, as you're leaving Sacramento, you're heading east, there's a sign that lists two or three California cities along with their mileage. So it's a very typical mileage sign. And then the last city listed on the mileage sign is Ocean City, Maryland. And it says 3,220 miles. (laughs) And then when you get to Ocean City, there's a roundabout. Once you're on the island, stop your car, look in your rearview mirror, and you will see a mileage sign that has several Maryland cities listed. And the very last city is Sacramento, California, 3,220 miles. That is so cool. (laughs) I'll have to check that out. I went to Ocean City as a kid, but I haven't been there in years. So I'll have to look for that sign. The Loneliest Road, you hit a lot of national parks. What national parks? A lot of the national parks in the West, actually. The Loneliest Road, goes by Arches and Canyonlands, both in Utah, and Black Canyon of the Gunnison in Colorado. Also goes through St. Louis, so you get the Gateway Arch again. And then it goes near Great Basin in Nevada. Very cool. Excellent. Another route you wanted to talk about is in West Texas. Yes. In the region, the Southwest in Texas, there are seven road trips within that region. And one of them is called a West Texas road trip starts in El Paso, and it concludes in Big Bend National Park, which I have to say might be one of my favorite national parks. I don't know if you have a favorite national park. It's probably so hard to say, but I love Big Bend. My cheating answer is usually the last park I visited, (laughs) which as a matter of fact, is Big Bend. So there you go. (laughs) Oh, I love that. We have the same answer. (laughs) (laughs) We were very fortunate to get to go to Big Bend in February before there was any talk of quarantining and social distancing. Yeah, so we got to enjoy an amazing trip there. I see that you suggest this road trip four days, but I say if you're going to go to Big Bend... I think three days is the minimum if you really want to get a good feel because there's three distinct regions of Big Bend, one day per region. 
I am so glad you said that. Yes. So the way that that I organized the road trips in the open road is focusing on the trip itself. But I love that you suggested spending at least three days in Big Bend because I couldn't agree more. I think the road trip itself could be a four day thing with maybe a day in Big Bend. But in my heart of hearts, I would tell you to spend three days on the road and then four days in Big Bend. Because like you said, there's three very different ecosystems and regions within Big Bend itself. Right, exactly. Unfortunately, we did not come that way. And it was kind of a short trip. And we did not come from El Paso. We did not get to go to Marfa, which was on our list. And we had hoped to get there. But for another trip. If you come from the El Paso, the El Paso side, and maybe not the Austin way, which is, is that how you came through Austin? We actually flew into Midland. Oh, okay. I'm suggesting a stop in Marfa because it's such a, a great and unique artist community. And the there's a, this little burrito place with the best burrito you will ever have. And then also going into Alpine, just outside of Alpine, there is a wonderful observatory. It's called the McDonald Observatory. You drive up this circuitous mountain route to get to the observatory. And then there's all sorts of fun astronomical things to do if your kids are into that. If you drive back down into Marfa, there's, of course, the Marfa Lights, which when I went, there were a lot of families there. Everyone's wrapped in blankets and sitting on their chairs and just watching the Marfa Lights, which are these unexplainable (laughs) glowing orbs that dance on the horizon. And there's so many rumors about what they are, but at the end of the day, no one really knows. How fun. We'll get back there. And going back to Alpine, today is May 6th. Yesterday, May 5th, Cinco de Mayo, but also it was National Astronaut Day. A little connection there. My kids actually attended an online webinar that was hosted by the Girl Scouts. It was a presentation by a female astronaut. Very cool. And they got to ask questions and things. Oh, what a fun thing. Are your girls would-be astronauts? They love astronomy. They are not interested in being astronauts, but they love the night sky programs in at the national parks. And they love looking at planets. One of our episodes, we did uh, Shenandoah National Park. And one of their favorite things to do there is the astronomy program, which um, I have to refresh my memory, but I think it's usually the first Friday of the month in season in the summer and into early fall. And my daughter, it was a few years ago, so on the trip report, she talks about astronomies. She's like, the astronomies? I love the astronomies. It's very, very cute. Oh, I love that. I don't want to be an astronaut either, but I am a sucker for like a great observatory and astronomy program. (laughs) Yep, that's right. And Marfa, since you said it's the best burrito, I think you have to tell us the name of where to get the best burrito when we're in Marfa. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if I should or not. <laughs> oh, okay. No, well. no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> and of course, as you're asking me, the name is escaping me, but it is really, I think, one of the only places in town where that has these burritos. I want to say the name is just Marfa Burrito. <laughs> You'll have to look that up, but I'm pretty sure it's just called Marfa Burrito. Bring cash. You're only going to pay in cash. You order at a window and you can watch You can watch them make the tortillas as you're ordering and then they'll they'll call your name and you get your burrito and it's the best burrito I've ever had. 
Oh, that's making me hungry. (laughs) (laughs) And last but not least, California. Lots of road trips to do there and many to uh, get to several national parks. So what do you want to tell us about for California? I wanted to touch on the California region because there are seven trips that we list in California and it is so many of those trips hit some of the greatest national parks, Yosemite, Joshua Tree, Redwood. It's a great chapter because you can close your eyes and throw a dart at any of the trips listed in there and you'll probably make your way to a national park. And I know you are quite a fan of Yosemite. So I think Yosemite shows up in three of the trips in the California chapter. Well, that sounds great. And I can't wait to get that book when it comes out in October. Thank you so much. It has been so much fun to talk to you, Jessica, and dream about uh, trips to come (laughs) very soon, I hope. Yes, much daydreaming. Thank you so much for having me. It was so fun to talk about this and fun to, to just reminisce about our trip. So thank you for having me. Great. So once again, I am speaking with Jessica Dunham, and she is the author of Moon Route 66 Road Trip, coming out in October, The Open Road, 50 Best Road Trips in the USA. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Everybody's National Parks. You may find links to resources mentioned in this episode in the show notes on our website, everybodysnationalparks.com. Send us your stories, tips, or comments to hello at everybodysnps.com. You can write us a message or even record a short voice memo on your phone and then attach it to the email. You may be featured on an upcoming episode. Again, the email is hello at everybody'snps.com. Subscribe for free to Everybody's National Parks on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, become a patron. Just click on support our show on our homepage, everybody'snationalparks.com. We also appreciate if you write a review, give us a five-star rating, and tell your friends. This helps more people find us. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We love to hear from you from the parks you are visiting, so please tag us at hashtag Everybody's National Parks. Most of all, enjoy exploring the national parks with your family. Bye for now.